Well, aren't you a regular Nancy Drew? We sure hope so, and we hope you are too. Join us as we talk Nancy Drew cover to cover and click to click. Welcome to Regular Nancy Drew. I have beef with this book. You do? Major, major beef. Um, Kind of beef. I mean, it's maybe petty beef. I don't know. But it's just, they promised Carson and there was no Carson. And I am mad about it. I, we had such a long book and I was like, okay, you know, we're going to have so much time to get into like the nitty gritty of relationships. I was so excited for like father daughter stuff. And then it's like Carson stuck in River Heights. And I was like, God damn it. Mm-hmm. He's not going to be in it at all. And then we get the Hardy Boys in it. And I was like, okay, okay. Well, if I can't have Carson, at least I can have Frank Hardy. But he's there for approximately two pages. Mm-hmm. And then he's not in the rest of it. I'm sorry. Excuse me? Right. I like Joe and everything. I, I really appreciate Joe. But the whole reason I like the Hardy Boys is because of Frank and Nancy. Right. And you cannot... You're not giving me a book with Frank Hardy when there's not Frank and Nancy interaction. And they tried to make Frank and, and George, George a thing. I can't. I can't He's here for it. two pages and you have him crushing on George. That's not no. why I'm reading this book. <laughs> unacceptable. Absolutely unacceptable. It was also really gross. Like, cause there's that moment where like at the end where like they all come back to the lodge and Ned and Bess and George join them and everything. Right. And they like pair off. That's it's, like weird. gross. It's like mm-hmm. Joe and Bess and Frank and George and Ned and Nancy. And I'm like, no, yeah. no, no, no. We don't like this. We don't want this. I don't mind uh, Bess and Joe. I don't right. hate that idea. But everything yeah. else was like, no, Nancy and Frank should be sneaking off. <laughs> and Ned shouldn't even be there. But no, same. My biggest issue was that we it's Nancy Drew Christmas. I assumed River Heights, mm. Carson, Hannah, Bess and George for sure. Maybe Ned shows up. But we are seeing like how Nancy you know, how she celebrates Christmas, how she spends right. her holidays. What What is a Nancy Drew Christmas look like in, in the Drew home? Nope. We don't know because Nancy's nope. stranded in um, a wheelchair in a snowed-in uh, ski lodge <laughs> for a week or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, well. So. Well. Otherwise, also, it was... Also, I mean... It's also very long. There is a lot of other things, too, that I had, like beef with like just not just a little bit of beef so we can talk about that later too but yeah no um oh well that's all i can say i mean overall i did i did enjoy it yeah um i think it was like a fun little holiday romp you absolutely know? yeah it's feel very festive it'll get but you i just season. feel like ultimately it was disappointing to me because i maybe had too high expectations for yeah. it so. I like the mystery itself. Like, I mean, the investigation was all right, but. <laughs> it just felt so random to me and way too convoluted. And and it was like about politics. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I just don't care. Like, no. this is, I don't come to a Nancy Drew book to, to read about like oil politics. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like. Well, full disclosure, I did start reading the next 
book after this already and we touch on a few not necessarily mm-hmm. political things but real world topics that are maybe hot yeah. button issues that are important oh i mean maybe you don't want to focus on when you're trying to escape into a book but i do appreciate that they kind of add that in for the realism and you introduce that yeah. to, to the younger audience at an early age so yeah, kind of yeah. nice don't so. get me wrong I definitely appreciate and I'm here for a Nancy Drew eco-warrior situation. absolutely. I just don't want the mystery to be about investigating dirty oil politicians. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I just, I mean, like, greedy politicians are going to be greedy politicians, and it's just not that interesting to me. I don't know, you know? But, oh, well. It does the opposite of what, like, Uncivil Acts did with Nancy justifying being a terrible... (laughs) Yes, yes. So true. Confederacy supporter. It's like, well, you know, I know that this is upsets a lot of people and some people benefit more than others from this, but the right thing to do in this situation is, you know, not to steal land Mm -hmm. and, you know, stuff like Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And kill the planet and, you know, ruin it for future generations. And right. (laughs) Yeah. So it was good that they, I mean, they kind of made that a, a part of yeah. it if they were going to bring that stuff up it's good that they did that but it's good that they made a made a very firm statement on where they they right. landed yes and where nancy lands but yeah. it also added a huge part to the book that didn't end up being super relevant so right it's like right is, how long was this 360 pages it was so long you guys 340 oh my god this is it's the longest long book, book. And un- unnecessarily long, in my opinion. Right. You could cut out half of this, and it would be just normal, good Nancy Drew mystery book. You know what I mean? yeah. The only excuse you would have to make it this long, I think, is if you got all of our cast of characters in mm-hmm. there, you know, yeah. in yeah. like a celebratory, holiday, visionary mm-hmm. kind of way. Mm-hmm. But no. We have a scene with Nancy and Hannah baking cookies, and, you know, like right. that would have been nice. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But instead, we set it up like a rear window-esque situation, but we actually don't even get the rear window-esque situation. (laughs) And that bothered me to no end, too. I was like, Nancy is in a wheelchair with binoculars in her suite with all these windows, and she spends about five minutes in there occasionally looking out. We needed to have so much more of Nancy being bored out of her mind in her suite and then being the crazy one when she sees weird things outside and everyone's like, Nancy, what are you talking about? Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That would have been interesting, yeah. But, oh my God. Did we even say, welcome, regular Drews? <laughs> we just launched right into it. I'm sorry, that was my fault. I no, just, no. I couldn't stop without being like, I have major issues. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, welcome, regular Drews. Welcome to... Um, part one of our Christmas special where we will be discussing Nancy Drew, a Nancy Drew Christmas. Yes. Like we said, this book is 340 pages long. So we're going to split <laughs> it over the next two episodes, 47 and 48. So we're glad we you're here. We simply just could not summarize it in one. It would just take way too long. Yeah. So, y'all don't want to listen to a yeah. four hour episode or maybe you do, no. but we're here, so let's get into it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so three words. Holidays. I mean, uh, winter okay. maybe. We don't even really get a, like a 
Christmas it's vibe. It's not really a holiday celebration. We're just there. It happens to be the week of Christmas and it's mm-hmm. snowing. So, And I will say, too, there's just so many different random things in this book that yeah. coming up with three words feels like it just feels impossible. But, yeah, I guess, like, wintry vibes. Mm-hmm. The, I Politics, I just feel like, has to be in there because yeah, that's just, like... Time. And then, I don't know, like... Cooking, skiing, Hardy Boys, Chef K, <laughs> you know, disaster peppers, yeah, uh, runaway carriages, uh, or I guess sleighs, not carriage. Well, that's uh, part, God, part two. Oh, you're right, you're right. That's a great part. That's a that's oh, oh gosh, so it just has to be the first half. Three words for the first half, yeah. Okay, that makes it easier. That makes it easier then. Because then I think it's definitely going to be winter politics. And then, yeah, I'll just say sabotage. Just sabotage. Because yeah. that's always a good one to throw in there. It is. <laughs> it's a common one. But we'll, we'll use it. Yeah. That works. I feel like I remember you telling me that you uh, were enjoying this one, Corey. Is that true? Well, just because of our special guests. That's the only reason. Right. Because I was like, right. they're coming. They're going to be here any minute. They're coming. Nancy's too dense to notice what's going on, but I knew what was going on from like the fr- yeah. like who's that blonde guy? I was like, it's Joe Hardy, you idiot! The moment, <laughs> the moment they were like, oh, blonde-haired and brown-haired one, I was like, we know yeah. what's about to happen. We know who it is. So <laughs> the first half, I'm just like thrilled in anticipation of that, and then the second <laughs> half, I was like, oh, well, this is great. Frank will be back any minute. Right, and, right. And then, yeah. We'll be back so. just any second. Any second. Oh. Well, and also oh. the, the hydrocodone probably didn't hurt. So <laughs> those of you listening, I just had surgery. So reading this book, I was on some pain medication. So that might have warped <laughs> my perception of it a little bit. But that's Everything. Okay. Every, you were just having a grand old time. <laughs> we're, we are having a grand old time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Do you want to go ahead and and jump in Corey Let's do it yes okay this book <laughs> starts in the most hilarious fashion because at first we think that Nancy is some kind of skiing superstar right. um where she's like slaloming taking these massive jumps doing flips in the air and everything and you know I would not put it past Nancy to be an expert skier. Um, but uh, we realize it's a dream she wakes up. <laughs> With Nancy um, Drew, you almost expect excellence in yeah. whatever skills yeah. she attempts. So I was like, wow, we're <laughs> really jumping off there. And it was almost like, almost, I thought it was going to be like the first full chapter and then she was going to get into an accident because I had read the back of the book. I kind of knew that was coming. And I right. was like, okay, dang, Nancy, now I see why, you know? But no, it turns out, that was just a dream. She's just um, an intermediate skier. <laughs> she's just dreaming about being a really great one. Um, while she's on a plane um, that's landing right now on her way to the Grand Sky Lodge, which is this eco-friendly ski resort on the Montana-Wisconsin border. 
Um, apparently, a few months ago, Carson's law firm represented the lodge's owner, Archie Leach, on a real estate development issue, and Nancy had helped do some investigative work. Um, and he basically thanked the both of them by inviting them on this all-expenses-paid trip to the lodge's reopening, uh, which is the week before Christmas. Um, Nancy is sitting on this plane next to Carol Fremont from Travel Bug. Um, she is a journalist who also got a free trip here to do publicity. Um, Carson is not with Nancy right now, as I said. Alas, <laughs> he is apparently stuck in River Heights because he had to do some work, but he's definitely going to get on a plane later, he says. <sighs> Biggest um, lie in Nancy Drew history. <laughs> Carson's on his way. <laughs> He's okay. on his way, which means we'll never see him. <laughs> um, but so Nancy's talking to Carol um, and they're kind of like talking about if, you know, this eco lodge thing is like just like some kind of publicity stunt from the owners or if they like are actually really sincere about this cause of, you know, for the environment. Right. Um, Nancy says to Carol that she really doesn't think it's a stunt um, and is actually really glad that the magazine is featuring the lodge because it might get more businesses on board in like, you know, making a difference in the fight against climate change. So snaps for Nancy. Um, Carol is clearly more interested um, in seeing her name on the byline than on what the content of the article actually is. Um, she literally comes right on and says so. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I don't care as long as it makes a good story, basically. Um, Nancy does say that she's especially excited to try the Lodge's restaurant called Mountain to Table. That's a terrible name. I'm sorry. I know. I know it's a horrible name. <laughs> this book is honestly a horrible name fest. Um, yeah. Because... <laughs> So the chef, Kim Crockett, is also um, the winner of this popular TV show called Top Chop Challenge. <laughs> this is bad name number two, Top yeah. Chop Challenge. <laughs> this is a mouthful to say. Um, and it is clearly, you know, a bastardization of Top Chef. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. So our Top Chef winner, Kim Crockett. Anyway, um, so the plane lands. Nancy goes to get her luggage at baggage claim. When she trips over a bag of ski gear and then starts tumbling towards this little girl, um, she's, like, about to hit her when a very strong woman catches her and, like, steadies her. And this is Liz. Liz is an Olympic skier who is here with her partner, Brady, and three kids from foster care. Um, she runs a nonprofit organization to teach uh, city kids in foster care how to ski. So, um they are all here on this ski trip so that she can teach these kids. Uh, Liz also grew up in foster care and was taught to ski, and that changed her life. And so this is why she runs this program. So then they all head outside of the airport together with all their luggage, where there is an electric passenger van from the lodge awaiting them. Um, and they meet Jackie, um, the lodge's very energetic guest services liaison. Jackie also has a boot from a rook and foot that she festively adorns with jingle bells. So she jingles while she walks. Um, she is like literally the embodiment of a holiday spirit. Um, in the car, she accidentally lets it slip that Nancy did great detective work for Mr. Leach. Um, and so Nancy has to explain to like the van full of passengers that like, yeah, so I kind of like, I do detective work for fun. <laughs> <laughs> And it's super 
super awkward. Um, so there's no chance. If any mystery does occur, which it hasn't yet, but if any mystery does occur at this lodge, there's no chance of Nancy being undercover. Everyone knows she's a detective. <laughs> Carol, um, always, you know, looking for her story, starts asking some probing questions to Jackie. And she tells us that Jackie and a bunch of the other employees at the lodge were kept on after the change in ownership because um, Archie Leach just bought this lodge um, because Mr. or Mrs. Bosley, the previous owner of the lodge, made it a condition of the sale. So, um, you know, all of the employees, most of the employees at the lodge are original employees to the lodge. Um, apparently the Bosley family, oh no, oh, I forgot something. Uh, after the sale, um, Mrs. Bosley's son, Dino, bad name number three, <laughs> Dino Bosley, um, got super upset. He was the general manager of the lodge. Um, he left and now refuses to step foot there, um, because he's so salty about this sale. Because apparently his family owned the lodge since gold rush times. Um, basically, he's resentful that he's not going to inherit the lodge the way his parents did. So the reason why they sold is basically because their business couldn't compete with the other large results, resorts in the area. So um, they had to sell to richer people, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Carol also asks Jackie about her broken foot um, and tells them that their resident doctor, Dr. Sherman, patched her up in their new state-of-the-art on-site clinic, which, spoiler alert, we're going to see pretty soon. Yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> then they drive into Prospect, Montana, picture-perfect, Christmasified, old mining town, um, and they see the lodge in the distance and these intimidatingly tall mountains, as well as a lake where Nancy says there must be hot springs, I guess because she can see the steam or something. Mm -hmm. um, but then they drive past a group of protesters on Main Street with like a bunch of different signs that say things like, save our mountain, people over profit, and stop the pipeline. Um, and there's also a bunch of cops in riot gear around Town Hall. And then some cops like escorting a bunch of like executive types out of Town Hall. And I was like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> are we going to have Nancy Drew, like, protest political issue right now? Right. Um, no, seems to be everything seems to stay pretty peaceful. But um, Nancy does note that one of the executives being led out of town hall has two bodyguards um, of his own. And then she recognizes one of the other men coming out of town hall as being Archie Leach's business partner. Interesting. Um, Carol, of course, is very excited about this development, saying that it looks like trouble in paradise. Mm. So fun. Uh, so Jackie starts explaining that the state land in this area used to be a protected wilderness preserve, but last year it was opened up for oil and gas exploration. Um, now there's this big oil company that wants to build a pipeline going straight through that area. Um, and the, uh, the land that the lodge sits on, there's like a corner of it where this pipeline would go through. Um, the town council did vote to approve the pipeline, but Archie and Grant, the lodge's owners, are like the last holdouts. They're the last ones that have agreed to let the pipeline go through their land. 
Um, so as you can imagine, a lot of people are really angry about this. Um, they say that, you know, if, if Archie and Grant don't agree to lease their land to the oil company, then a bunch of people in town are going to like lose out on the money that they would have made from leasing their land, um, including Dino Bosley um, and the local sheriff. <laughs> Um, and we also learned that Grant is the state representative, so he stands to lose either way, really, because, you know, either his lodge is going to, you know, they've got this eco lodge that they've got to, like, compromise their values on to allow this oil pipeline, or, you know, his constituents are going to be pretty mad at him if they don't get their money from this project. Um, so this means that a lot of, or um, this means that they have both received a lot of death threats, um, and it's just been a huge, huge deal for them recently. As they're passing the protesters, though, Nancy notices that there's a couple boys um, holding protest signs that say geckos against global warming. And geckos is all capital G-E-C-C-O-S. Um, she's like, who are those guys? There's one blonde one, one brunette. And she just she just cannot place them. They look so familiar to her, but she just is like, hmm. Oh, well. All right. Uh <laughs> Oh my gosh. I was so sure that they were going to be here um, doing some kind of like undercover work for um, their spy agency. God, what is it called? I um, wish. It's like A something. A-tag. A-tag. My brain went to had it. <laughs> <laughs> nope, not that one. A-tag. Yeah. I was American so sure that they crime. were going to be yeah, doing some kind of undercover work for A-tag. And I was like, oh my God. Anyway. You know what? They should have been. It should have been. It would have made more sense. It would have. Anyway, but continue, Corey. Well, um, so yes, they make it back to the lodge just in time to get Liz onto the slopes because they, um, they're going to do this like big opening ceremony thing where they've got a bunch of different slopes and they're going to have a skier uh, ski down each slope all at the same time. And that's going to be the grand opening. Right. Um, so Liz has to get, get there straight away so that she can do their steepest double black diamond. Um, and Brady, her partner is going to film it with his drone. Um, we get a description of the lodge and it's absolutely beautiful. It's all decorated for Christmas. There's a bunch of Christmas trees. There's menorahs everywhere. Uh, and there's also this like giant hedge maze. Um, <laughs> All of the shining, yes. <laughs> um, that Nancy can see from the ski lift that she has just exited. Um, so she skis over the top of a smaller slope and is greeted by Archie, who welcomes her to the lodge. Um, he actually asks her if she wouldn't mind being one of their inaugural skiers. Um, they had um, somebody who'd planned to be that uh, skier. It was actually their new chef, Chef Kay, who was supposed to be one of the skiers for this opening ceremony, but she's refusing to leave the kitchen because something's going on in the kitchen. So they're out or they're down one person. And Nancy's like, uh, I'm not the best skier. I don't know if I'd be able to like handle the slopes all by myself the first time. And he's like, no, 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 we'll give you the easiest one. It's super gentle, no obstacles. You'll be totally fine. And she's like, cool. All right. And she agrees. Um, Archie then gives a big speech to everyone about the lodge and his commitment to protecting the environment through all of their eco-friendly initiatives and innovations that they've got going on. And he also announces that he plans to create a nature conservancy with all of their undeveloped land, including the area that they would need for this oil pipeline. So he's basically just promised everyone at this opening ceremony that this oil pipeline is not going to be happening, at least not on their property. Grant, his business partner, seems super shocked by this and even goes pale. Uh, okay. 
I don't know if this was just the hydroconone, but I had an issue with Grant and Archie's names. Did you notice some inconsistencies in how they referred to each of them? I didn't notice inconsistencies, but I did get confused a couple times. And so maybe there were, and I just didn't pick up on them. But I kept always thinking like that their last names were their first names. And like, that's, yeah, same. So I had to go back and check because I was like, no, surely this is the the pain meds that are doing this to me, but it was not. I checked like four different times. Sometimes they would refer to both of them as their first names. Sometimes mm-hmm. they would be like f- first name guy Mr. A Leech. and then last name. And then Grant. she would be like yeah. Leach and yeah. Grant, like not Mr. Leach and yes. Grant, his first name. They would just mm-hmm. refer to that. And I'm like, the author, did, the, did they not remember when they're writing? Like yeah, what they named choice. this person? Yeah. Well, it seemed like, I think it was like some kind of weirdness because Nancy, I assume, has met Archie before. Right. Um, but like Archie Leach, but she calls him Mr. Leach occasionally and also like to his face, I think. But it also like, why would you call him that to his face if that's not what you call him in your head? And right. And it was like, it was like, are you familiar with this man or are you not? Right. <laughs> you know what I mean, like, what's the level of comfort here with him? And then also, yeah, she does the same thing with his partner who she's never met. And so it's just very odd. It's a what little is odd. his last name? Archie Leach. And then, yeah, I don't even know. Grant something. I don't, is it, is Grant his last name? Hold on. That's, I had to ask that question as well. I'm so confused now. And sometimes they oh Grant Alexander, and sometimes yeah, they'll call them Alexander. Leech and Alexander. Sometimes it's Archie yes. and Alexander. Sometimes it's <laughs> Leech and Grant. And I'm like, who? And then sometimes it's just Mister G. And so yes, who, yeah, who? The, the the letters, the letters. Yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. I'm like, is yeah. it Mister A? Because he's his last name is whatever. <laughs> okay, whatever. So Mister A, Mrs. B, Mister G, Chef K. Yeah. <laughs> it got to be a bit much but okay yes. so anyway we finish our big opening ceremony th- uh thing it's time to all line up for our big inaugural ski um and we meet marnie one of our ski patrol members who is nancy's like not assistant but like she's supposed to like get nancy to where she needs to be yeah right exactly and just make sure yeah. that n- no disasters happen with nancy um so nancy gets up to her slope she realizes yeah this looks actually really easy there's some big drifts off to the side but otherwise it's you know a pretty clearly marked um path that she needs to go back go down um so they send off a flare it's go time nancy starts to ski she's feeling confident going down to the going down the slope um until she sees that one of the marked boundaries is in the middle of the slope like the boundary for the edge of the ski area um so she's got to like scoot off to the left much more than she had initially planned and as she does she hits a huge patch of ice um causing her to slip fall and go careening into a snowdrift. oh here we go i'm cold thinking about that that sounds awful i know <laughs> i know um so nancy hits this snowdrift and gets buried in the snow um which is kind of a bad situation, but Nancy, of course, keeps her cool. She's Nancy Drew. You know, she's not about to panic. She clears a little pocket around her face so that she can breathe. Good grief. This, that's terrifying to think. Um, and then notices which way the snow, like at first she realizes that she can't tell which way is up or down. Um, but she 
waits for a second, and then she notices from which way the snow is dripping off her nose, which direction is up. Whew. Yikes. Way to go, Nancy. Clever. Um, so she's like kind of like digging, trying to dig herself out of this ski drift upward. Um, and then here's her name being called. Then she is rescued by Marnie from the ski patrol, who obviously saw all this happen and went right down to Nancy. Um, after pulling Nancy out, they discover that her ankle is injured. Um, Marnie apologizes to Nancy because she almost wiped out um, on her way down to Nancy, too. And she doesn't know how, like, this massive ice patch was missed from their grooming team because they have, like, teams that come out to make sure, like, all the the routes and everything are safe and and everything. Um, So she has no idea how this happened. And it seemed like the boundaries of the run were moved so that this patch of ice was, like, unavoidable. Um, so they get Nancy out of there on the sled of shame, is what Nancy calls it. <laughs> they, like, strap her to this uh, sled so that they can get her out um, and down to the clinic. Um, but not before Nancy has a chance to hear someone very angry and, like, screaming over the radio about something. The voice sounds familiar, but Nancy can't place who it is. Um then on the way down, she also sees Steve, who is the head groomer, yelling at Todd, who apparently is was the groomer responsible for this slope. But Todd swears he has no idea how this happened. He had just run it like before this, um, you know, big ceremony or whatever, and there was no ice. So he has no idea how how any of this happened. Then Nancy makes it to the clinic. We meet Doc Sherman, who is a grumpy doctor with a boil on his butt, apparently. Um <laughs> Like, literally, that's what we learn. The nurse tells us that. So, <laughs> cool. Um, and uh, Nurse Mariana, who, after performing some x-rays on Nancy, tells Nancy that she has a hairline fracture in her leg and a femoral fracture. Woo, fun. Okay, yeah. so they put her in a cast that goes all the way from her foot to her thigh um, and tell her that she needs bed rest for the entire week. Um, and if she moves pretty much at all, she risks permanent nerve damage um, and causing a permanent limp in her leg. Um, good grief. So pretty serious injury for our pal Nancy. Um, and they do give her a wheelchair, though, to get around. But just in case, she's not she's very clearly not supposed to use it unless she really needs to. Um <laughs> Poor Nancy. The first yeah. day of your ski vacation. and Like first hour even. <laughs> you get put on a leg cast and told to not move. Yeah. Yikes. N- don't move with risk of like permanent nerve damage. And Nancy's <laughs> like, I'm willing to live with that. That's fine. Yes. <laughs> Obviously, I won't be sitting still this week. <laughs> I have to find out what happened with this ice situation. Um, no. So Nancy goes up to her a corner suite at the lodge because they have reserved her and Carson this massive, gorgeous room um, where she has this like great vantage spot for people watching from the big windows and she can see the front and the back of the lodge. Um, the room's on the second floor, so we have a little bit of a view. We can see on the patio, um, and we can see the entire hedge maze, he- hedge maze um, and down into it. And um, there's, like, because across the way there's more rooms, and so we can see, like, into people's rooms across the courtyard or whatever. Yeah. Oh, lifestyles of the rich and famous, Corey. <laughs> she immediately... Uh, 
gets up out of the wheelchair because yes. obviously Nancy <laughs> is not going to be bound to anything. <laughs> um, but on the plus side, Archie felt so guilty about her accident. He gives her some binoculars, which she'd asked for specifically, and a walkie-talkie so that she can communicate with the lodge staff. <laughs> Just imagine Nancy Drew with a walkie-talkie. Yeah. Um, hi, this is Nancy. There's something weird going on in that hallway <laughs> over there. Over. <laughs> oh, goodness. No, forget, like, the room phone of, like, hey, can I have I know. food or something? No, we need a walkie-talkie. We need direct <laughs> communication access at all this times. This is Nancy. <laughs> I need curly fries. Over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, so, yeah, Nancy's in her room. Some people come to visit her and try to cheer her up, but... They leave, and soon she has nothing to do but sit there with her binoculars and not sit in the wheelchair like she's supposed to. Uh, so she's just looking at her binoculars. No, not, not sit in bed like she's supposed to. She sits in the wheelchair. Oh, okay. Well, fair enough. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> but she is, she's using the binoculars. She's looking out across the way, and she can see into, is it Grant's room, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she can see into Grant's room, and Archie and Grant are both in there, and they are arguing. Um, she can't read their lips well enough, but like clearly they're arguing. Everything seems very heightened, and they look very emotional. Um, yeah, apparently she can lip read, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Especially from that distance. I know. She, okay, whatever. But she assumes, okay, clearly this is probably about that little stunt that Archie pulled at the ceremony where he just, like, made this announcement without talking to Grant first. Um, it looks like Grant is trying to get Archie to sign something, but Archie just refuses and storms out of the room. Very odd. Mm-hmm. Um, so later, Liz comes by um, to get Nancy ready for the big dinner um, because she's like, Nancy, you can't miss this big dinner. Let me help you get ready. Um, so they get Nancy all, all ready to go down. They get her in the wheelchair. And when they like get down to the restaurant, Nancy notices a group of intimidating looking men. And the maitre d' is trying to like keep them from coming into the restaurant. Um, mm. And he's like, no, Mr. Bosley, this is invitation only. So this is Dino Bosley, right? Um, is it Dino or Dino? Did I say Dino? I think it's so. not a dinosaur. It's Dino. Is it? Okay. I don't know. <laughs> Just making sure I'm saying it right. I'm sure you are. I don't know who would name their child yeah. Dino. Dino. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just, call him, let's just call him Dinosaur Bosley. Dinosaur Bosley <laughs> is trying to get into this restaurant, doesn't have an invitation. So Archie comes over, tries to defuse the situation. Um, this is when we do confirm, yes, this is Dinosaur Man Bosley, the son of the previous <laughs> owners. Um, and then they get into an argument about how he's betraying the town by not letting this oil deal go through. Um, he starts yelling at Grant as well about how he's not representing the interests of his constituents. And he is about to, like, give them some sort of, like, ultimatum. And then, like, about, like, we're not leaving or else. And then um, Chef K comes out. At, she comes running out of the kitchen with this, like, oh my God. meat... meat uh, Bloodstained meat cleaver and tells him, (laughs) starts yelling at him, you're interrupting my dinner and throws the meat cleaver at his head. (sighs) Okay, okay. I'm sorry. Amazing. I have to say, these Nancy Drew diaries go hard, man, (laughs) on like the violence and the intensity because holy crap. She throws a, a knife at his head. 
a meat cleaver at his head. This is chapter four. In what world do you do that and still keep your job? I'm sorry. Yeah. That's oh my crazy. gosh. That's crazy. I guess when you're like this famous chef, you know, mm. if it were like Chef Gordon Ramsay. If Chef Gordon Ramsay, if I owned a restaurant <laughs> and he showed up and started throwing massive butcher knives at my customers, I'd be, well, not even customer because they're you're trying to get him here. to leave as well. But I'd be like, hey, dude, you can't treat my, <laughs> can't treat people this way. You can't act this way in our restaurants. So, you know, like that's, yeah. that's a bit much. Come on, Chef. Gordon, yeah, but. I suppose so. It is, however, hilarious. I find it. Um it also doesn't actually hit him, so no one is harmed. It misses his ear by, like, a millimeter, though. Um, and, like, shwink into the wood, like, behind him. <laughs> Amazing. Well, oh. imagine, imagine if it had hit him, and he was, like... <laughs> that, well, that would like, straighten his forehead. Imagine! Like a, like a horror movie prop. She murders someone for trying to break into her dinner party. And- I think I think it's implied that she misses him on purpose. Like she didn't actually right. mean to hit him because she's not a psychopath. Um, but is but- her aim that good that she can throw within so. a millimeter of someone? That's and what they're implying. Sure, that she's just a straight up badass and just flings knives on the reg. Sure. <laughs> um. But so he gets so freaked out by this that he and his friends literally flee the scene. <laughs> they run away from Chef K, um, which is valid. Someone just threw a knife at you. I would run as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but he does part with a kind of like, you'll regret this like vibe. <laughs> so funny. Oh, goodness. Um, Carol, who is sitting next to Nancy um, at this dinner, is now gleeful about, like, how amazing her article is going to be with all this drama. So funny. Um, And then dinner starts. It's really fancy. There's all kinds of, like, you know, glassware and everything set on the tables. There's going to be multiple courses. Um, But the first thing that comes out is, like, this towel, like a warm towel to clean your hands before dinner. Um, And so everyone takes that um and they uh like you know clean their hands with it then they start on the appetizers but nancy suddenly realizes that her hands are like uncomfortably warm still like from the warm towel um and then brady also like remarks after like licking his fingers from the appetizer which gross don't do that um that um the food is like spicy um and then carol wipes her eye wipes at her eye and then exclaims that her eye is burning. Nancy very quickly realizes that someone has sabotaged the hand towels they have just used to wipe their hands. Uh-oh. Oh, no! So, like, everybody else and, like, all the tables around also start, like, realizing that something is wrong. And then somebody exclaims, like, it's poisoned or something. And everybody's freaking out. Everybody starts panicking. Um, Nancy picks up one of the towels and sniffs it and then sneezes. And then she realizes, okay, this isn't a chemical. I know this smell. It's like a hot pepper. Um, Kim also comes out because she, of course, realizes that everybody's freaking out. Um, Grabs the towel from Nancy, sniffs it, licks it. (laughs) No, I take it back. Kim is totally psychopathic. (laughs) 
That's weird behavior. Um, she licks the towel or maybe licks her hands after touching it. I don't know. Um, and identifies that what's on it is like her Caribbean habaneros, uh, which were apparently stolen last week from her kitchen, along with a crock of her fermented kraut. That never becomes relevant. <laughs> no. I mean, the, the habanero peppers do, but the fact that they also like stole sauerkraut is not. She just mentions that. Um, interesting. <laughs> Maybe the villain just really likes the sauerkraut. I don't know. Um, so Kim sends around milk and yogurt to everybody affected to like counteract uh, the effects of the pepper. Um, Carol gets an eye wash from the doctor. Um, and Kim also promises a bottle of champagne and a free dinner to anyone who was affected. Very much to the horror of Archie and Grant, who are going to lose out on a lot of money after this, because this is a big, fancy, expensive dinner. One can only imagine how much a check at one of these tables would cost. Um, yikes. So after dinner, Nancy goes back to her room, ends up falling asleep in her wheelchair instead of in bed like she's supposed to be. Um, and when she wakes up, she's about to go to bed, but then she notices a light on in Grant's room. She, you know, pulls out her binoculars just to take a peek, um, sees him turn off the light and leave his room. And then moments later, she sees the unmistakable beam of a flashlight in his empty room. Oh, so it looks like she's witnessing a break-in. Dun, dun, dun. So Nancy is like, okay, what do I do in this situation? I do not want to admit to Grant that I was like spying on his room. Um, on him. <laughs> especially not at one in the morning. Oh my God. Um, so she decides. I'm sorry. Hold on one second. Yeah. Imagine if the roles were reversed. Yeah. And this creepy old man was looking through binoculars at Nancy Drew's room in the middle of the night. Ew. No. no. Nancy! What the heck are you doing? Well, when she started looking through the binoculars, really, I mean, I guess the ice patch thing is could be the start of a mystery. We don't know that it's a mystery yet at that point. Mm -hmm. And she's still st spying on people. Yes. They're already spying on people at that point. And now we have, like, another uh, act of sabotage. So it's like, okay, stuff is happening here. So Nancy's obviously going to get that little right. red flag in her brain. Like, oh, better start investigating. But mm -hmm. she's already been spying on people before that. Yes. So she also like tries to like justify it by being like, well, I mean, you know, it's not like I I meant to see something, you know, I wasn't like looking for something. I just noticed something. So that's not bad, right? That's yeah, fine. <laughs> Nancy does a lot of mental gymnastics in this book. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. So um, but yeah, so she's like, uh, you know, it could also just be Grant in his own room with this flashlight looking around. Maybe, maybe it's not a break in. Maybe it's just Grant being weird with a flashlight. So I'm just going to go to sleep. <laughs> so she does. She goes to sleep. Um, and then the next morning, George tells her, hey, check Instagram. The lodge drama about the, the pepper on the towels is like blowing up. People are talking about it like crazy. Um, and then she also gets a message from her dad that there is a winter storm stopping all flights out of River Heights for the next few days. So probably not going to make it for Christmas now. Double bummer. Mm. 
Um, so then she heads down to the concierge desk where she overhears Grant asking Henry, the concierge there, um, something about maintenance changing the lock. And Nancy's like, hey, Grant, hey, what do you need? Um, what do you need a lock changed on your room? Um, she goes over, introduces herself to Henry um, and to Grant, because I don't think we've officially met yeah, Grant either yet. So. Um, so she introduces herself and says like, hey, um, you know, I might have seen someone in your room last night. And he's like, um, no, I was what? in my room all night. What are you talking about? You're being weird. Uh, I have to go. Bye. <laughs> Which is honestly a fair reaction yeah. to some <laughs> rando coming up to you and being like, so I noticed at like 1 a.m. that you left your room and then someone came in your room. It's like, what the? Who are you? Yeah, Get away you from me, about? creepy girl. <laughs> Uh, but Nancy does use this opportunity to talk to the concierge, who very quickly becomes her new bestie and her confidential informant at the lodge. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, he tells her, yes, actually, Grant was just telling me, actually, someone did break into his room last night, and that's why he was asking about the lock. Um, but also, that's not the only break-in that's happened recently at the lodge. Tons of rooms, guest rooms, closets, random rooms were all broken into during the renovation, but nothing has been stolen or at least nothing mm. that they are aware of. Um, and nothing was stolen from Grant's room either. He even told Henry that like he'd left his really expensive camera just sitting out on the dresser. Um, and the only reason he noticed was because a few things were like out of place in the room. Um, but nothing was like stolen. So it's very, very strange as well. Um, he tells them as well that they have decided not to call the police because one, nothing has actually been stolen. And also because they've already gotten enough bad pub publicity for the lodge um they're just trying to keep things under wraps and keep publicity looking good for right now but nancy's like mm, no i'm gonna figure this one out don't you worry henry <laughs> uh, so after they discuss this nancy spots two oil paintings hanging out in the lobby there's a painting of a man and a woman and henry tells her that these are the bosleys the previous owners um i believe that they're like really eccentric looking like they're wearing crazy mm -hmm. outfits and just like they're kind of amusing photos uh, or paintings, I guess. And he tells her that Mrs. Boz was fond of telling gold rush stories, including one that her grandparents had told her because um, um, they told her that the original owners had buried gold treasure somewhere on the property. And then of course it's been oh. passed down for so long that uh, this whole family's tried to look and nobody has ever found anything except um, there's a room under the kitchen that was recently sealed off during the renovation. Um, probably just an old cellar. Um, it was empty when they were sealing it off. So probably nothing, but like, you know, intrigue. Mm -hmm. But then Chef K comes storming over to Henry again, has a knife in her hand. <laughs> <laughs> Other hand, she's holding a bunch of like withered plants and shout she's shouting like someone will pay for this what they've done look at this <laughs> the drama i know <laughs> unreal drama so apparently someone has turned off the heat lamps and left open the doors to her greenhouse so her plants have died honestly i get it <laughs> i would be upset. imagine i'd be so pissed yeah and especially like if you consider like as a restaurant, like, that's your whole thing is, like, you grow your own crops, like, not yeah. having your supply. That could be devastating for your restaurant. And, like, now what are you going to do? You're going to have to order food from a supplier. Like, right. how are you going to figure that out? Anyway, um, crazy. But then, so then Henry calls Archie down. 
And um, Archie and Chef K get into an argument because Archie basically asks if, hey, maybe was it just someone on your team who did it on accident? But Chef K is like, no way, you know, with this incident and then the incident with her peppers at dinner last night, she says it has to be someone from the old staff who is still here sabotaging her. And she says all her staff are like brand new, like she handpicked them and trained them herself. So she knows that it's none of them. She says it has to be someone who was here before who is sabotaging me now. Hmm. This feels like a little bit of a leap to me, but this is what she says. Okay. Um, Let's see. Oh, yeah. So after Chef K leaves, Nancy promises Archie that she's going to get to the bottom of it. She's going to put on her detective hat and get to work. Um, She decides to ask around about Kim's staff um, and learns that they all seem to be serious culinary folks who, while acknowledging Kim's hot temper, are still ultimately glad to be working there and learning from her because she's like this big deal. And once they have worked there and gotten like good references from her, they can go on to do whatever they want to do in the culinary world. Um, So none of them seem, none of them seem like they would benefit from sabotaging the restaurant because that would sabotage their own career aspirations. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, The next day, Nancy decides to go digging through the restaurant's trash. I still don't know why she did this. (laughs) I don't understand what she thought she could be looking for, but okay. Nancy, some kind of clues. How'd you get into the dumpster with a leg cast on? <laughs> she takes Henry to help her. That's why. Oh, yeah. Poor so Henry. basically she makes Henry drag, dig, dig through the trash while she sits there. <laughs> Maybe he hands her a bag. I don't know. But um, together they find a discarded pair of goggles and gloves with red powder on them. Proof that the pepper towels were indeed sabotaged. Um, and after Nancy examines the goggles, she finds a red frizzy hair. Hmm. This cracks the case wide open, Corey. It does indeed. <laughs> um, so we learn that the only person with that particular hair type is Clark, a server that Chef K often singles out and even threatened to fire at dinner last night over the pepper incident. Um, so, hey, that would kind of make sense then if somebody is you know, holding a grudge against her, it could have been him. Um, so she has to tell Archie this and she spots Grant talking on the phone in the lobby and he looks super stressed. So she's like, I need to hear this. So she goes over and tries to eavesdrop, but she doesn't really get anything from eavesdropping from them. But she does notice that there are two guys in the lobby also kind of like giving him sideways glances, trying to act like they're, not listening but they're trying to listen into the conversation and she recognizes them as those same familiar guys from the protests the other day so Hmm. why would these protesters now be like watching grant that's kind of strange right so weird who could they be who could these guys be (laughs) we definitely already said the hardy boys at the beginning i know So Grant is like, while he's still talking on the phone, he like scribbles something down on a notepad, hangs up the phone, takes the top sheet from the notepad and then walks away. Um, And Nancy has this idea, oh, I'm just going to go over and like trace the, you know, the impression of where the pencil was or the pen and I'll be able to like see what he wrote. But 
our blonde friend, our unfamiliar blonde friend gets up and does this first before we get the chance to, um, they, you know, the guys like look at each other, blonde boy, Joe Hardy gets up. I think and does it's this. actually brown haired boy. Is it? I'm oh, pretty sorry. sure because no, you're right. You're when, right. yeah, yeah, you're right. It was later. Yeah. It was Frank. Anyway. And then, yeah. So Frank <laughs> takes the, we don't know it's Frank yet. Sorry guys, but <laughs> brown haired boy, brown haired boy gets a piece of paper does the little like shading thing, puts the note in his pocket, um, and then they take off. So Nancy is annoyed that she cannot follow Grant stealthily. So she's like, all right, whatever. I'll just go talk to Archie and then I'll figure out what's going on with these people later on. So Nancy and Archie decide that they're going to go confront Clark, the server, who pretty much tells them everything right away. Um, <laughs> It's a like it's a weird conversation, but Clark does tell them that he did sabotage the towels and the plants, but he was being paid to do this. And so it's not any grudge that he has or anything that he's trying to do. Um, and also, he doesn't even know who's paying him to do this. Um, all he knows is that there were notes left in his room signed the Grand Sky Christmas Elf and uh, whatever. So... <laughs> This Clark is like weird and evasive and like can't answer mm -hmm. a question with a straight face. Think like Shattered Medallion, how they'll respond to everything you ask them. You know oh what I mean? Oh my God. That's Clark. Yes. So they're oh. like, Clark, you're being paid to do this. How much? And he's like, I don't know. And they're like, what? Well, how much money did you receive? And he's like, I don't know. And he reaches down into his pocket and he's like messing with something. And they're like, what are you doing? And he takes takes something out of his pocket and drops it on the table it's a gold nugget whoever this was that left the note in his room paid him a gold nugget to put hot pepper on towels okay and kill some plants <laughs> let's break this down for a second <laughs> everyone in this book is a psychopath <laughs> first of all we have nancy who is just spying on everyone for no reason <laughs> out of her room, sitting in her wheelchair that she's also not supposed to be in. Um, and then like unsure of what to do with that information. We have, we have chef K who goes around throwing knives at people <laughs> at literally everyone. And now we have this kid, Clark, who, who has taken the directions from a note from someone calling themselves the Grand Sky Christmas Elf and agreed to do it because they left him a gold nugget that he does not know the value of? So... <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, so he, he tells us he doesn't know how much it's worth, so... I don't think that he knows how much it's worth because that's what he says. So, Corey, let me just ask you, would you, if someone gave you a little piece of what looked like gold nugget, you don't even know that it's gold for sure. Maybe you bit on it and it seemed soft, but it could be Play-Doh. You don't know. Mm -hmm. um, and left a note for you with some fantastical made-up name asking you to commit a crime. Would you do it? What is stopping him from just taking the gold and not doing this? <laughs> I guess the promise of more gold, but 
But you but don't he doesn't know specify that. He doesn't say there was going to be more gold in it for me after no. I'm done. No. And he doesn't even know that. Like, if you do that, you there's no guarantee you're actually going to get more gold if you, you do go through with it. Because you don't know this person, because they're calling themselves the Grand Sky Christmas Elf. I wouldn't follow an anonymous, an anonymous note <laughs> for nothing. I don't know what sociopath is asking me to do what, and then what else it's going to lead to, you know? No, thank you. It's just, I just keep coming back to the fact that they're calling themselves the Grand Sky Christmas Elf, and I cannot imagine in any kind of reality reading a note where someone leaves it saying the Grand Sky Christmas Elf and be like, that seems normal. I'll do that. <laughs> Legit. Let's keep going. <laughs> oh, my God. No, this is, uh, it's bonkers. Everyone's crazy. Everyone's crazy here. They are, yeah. Um, so... Um, after examining it, Nancy says that it does seem like it's real gold, but there's no telling where it was sourced from. Like, could have been from some gift shop somewhere. We are in a mining town, you know. Um, and then Archie fires Clark and keeps the gold. (laughs) (laughs) It's very funny. Um, he's basically like, great, we'll put this in a display. You're fired. (laughs) Um, anyway. Um, in his office, though, Archie tells Nancy that he doesn't want her investigating anymore. Um, he's not convinced that Clark is telling the truth about someone else, like, leaving a note for him to do things, which, understandable, because that story is crazy. Um, and, uh, Doc Sherman apparently read him the riot act for not letting Nancy rest as she is supposed to be doing. Yeah. (laughs) Um... Before Nancy can really protest too much about this, uh, Chef K comes in and demands that Clark be arrested. Um, Otherwise, she'll make sure that he's punished herself. So Archie and Grant are kind of, Grant is also there now. Um, They're forced to call Sheriff Pruitt, who comes down to arrest Clark. Um, Unfortunately, uh, the sheriff is not a fan of the resort. Um, He is decidedly pro-pipeline. Um, and he makes some really nasty comments to them about it, uh, which gets Chef Kim super fired up. Um, she explains everything that Clark did um, and asks like the sheriff, like, hurry up, do your job, arrest him, right? Um, but the sheriff basically just laughs in her face um, and is like, I'm not arresting someone for stealing a pepper and murdering a basil plant. Um, okay. <laughs> So he is like, and leaves, um, or starts to leave. Um, but the deputy comes over and asks Grant to sign the call log. Um, Grant reaches for his gold pen, but he can't find it. Um, I guess it's like a pen that he keeps in his pocket or whatever. But Nancy pulls it out of her bag and she's like, oh, were you looking for this? It's the one that you left on the table that those boys over there used to make a rubbing of like the note that you left. Um, oh. and like, she just straight up, like, outs them. Um, like, way to <laughs> go, Nancy. Like, Cause they're also conveniently standing right there in the lobby watching everything that's going on right now. But unfortunately, the sheriff hears this, um, stops this brown haired boy and frisks him and is like really kind of like rough about it. Um, and then he pulls out his ID, which says, Frank Hardy from Bayport. Okay, okay, here we go. It's the Hardy Boys. Um, The only saving grace of this whole book, honestly. I I know. (laughs) Um, 
The name sounds familiar to Nancy, but she can't place it. Corey, I find this really interesting. Yeah. Um, that, well, maybe we'll talk about this later. But anyway. Can't um, place it from where? Your dreams, <laughs> Nancy? <laughs> <laughs> um, the sheriff also pulls a paper out from Frank's wallet and reads it silently and then pockets it with, like, a grimace. But he doesn't tell anybody what it says. Um the sheriff turns to Grant and basically says that he thinks Frank is the one who broke into his room that night. Huh. Interesting. So it looks like Grant actually did contact the sheriff about his room break-in. Um, and also, Archie seems shocked by this. So Grant told the sheriff, but he didn't tell Archie. Huh. Interesting. Um, they do also find on Frank a Swiss army knife that has, um, like tweezers and like a like bent tweezers and like a metal toothpick that looks as if it was like been used as a lock pick so this is like the sheriff's evidence that he was the one who broke into grant's room um so he arrests frank um even though both nancy and frank like say this is wrongful arrest according to the fourth amendment at the same time which was very cute on oh. one cute frank and nancy moment i know um and uh, but unfortunately, the sheriff is like, yeah, I don't care. Tell it to the judge, um, who is not going to be back until next week because he's currently on vacation. Oh, great. Cool. So Frank's going to be in jail for a week, seems like. Yikes. Wonderful. Well, he drags Frank away, and Nancy suddenly remembers who Frank Hardy is and where she's heard this name before. Um, she realizes that he is one half of this teenage fine... Uh, ugh, teenage... <laughs> Fine crating. Fine crating. <laughs> Teenage crime fighting duo that she's read about in a magazine previously. Um, and then Joe, who is angrily making his way over to Nancy right now for getting her brother arrested, um, is obviously the other half of this duo. Joe starts protesting to Nancy that, no, it was not us that broke into Grant's room. And she's like, well, why were you even tailing Grant? And Joe's like, um, we actually came over with our high school's Green Environment Conservation Club. So this is the, the geckos from their sign um, to see if they could come up with anything that would help stop this pipeline business because they keep finding out shady things about Grant. Interesting. <laughs> All right. Hardy boys with the useful information. Um, we learned that he has been having secret meetings with this pipeline head honcho named Larry Thornwall. Um, and there are links between subsidiaries of the pipelines holding company and Grant's campaign manager for his, his public office. Um, and then the note that Frank had found with the, the rubbing that he had done, um, has an air, uh, sorry, the note has an, a phone number on it and the area code is the same area code as Thorwalls and the initials TS were written next to the phone number. Very interesting, mm. but uh, Vanessa is is not convinced that there's nothing to this. Um, she's like, well, you know, someone did break into this room, even if it wasn't you and Joe or you and Frank. Uh, she's like, no, somebody did break into that room, though. And she, at this point, she does uh, like formally introduce herself to Joe, and Joe realizes who she is as well. And Joe's like, hey, look at us, world's top teenage detectives right here about to team up to solve this case together. Oh my gosh. Heck yeah. Let's go. Um, so they immediately call both of their dads, um, yeah. <laughs> to start work on getting Frank released because obviously Carson, uh, you know, attorney and then Fenton Hardy, uh, you know, world-class detective, 
Um, I think so, they mention Fenton more than they mention Carson in this they book. They definitely do. They definitely do. Um, also, Joe seems to have no idea what Nancy's talking about when she brings up like the towel situation and the dead plants. Um, so, if any of that sabotage is connected to the pipeline, they haven't uh, figured that out yet. Um, unfortunately, it is not long until the next incident of sabotage because that night at dinner, the menorah in the entrance of the dining room goes up in flames and catches the drapes that are like right next to it on fire. Um, it's quickly extinguished, but from the smell um, and the fact that typically the candles that are in those menorahs are fake, um, it is clear that someone deliberately caused this and used butane to do it. So cool. Great. <laughs> um Archie still doesn't seem to believe that anything is going on. In his mind, Nancy has caught two bad guys now, so um, they shouldn't be in any more danger. Um, Until, oh, wait, this is where it comes back. Never mind. Oh, yeah, okay. I forgot about this. So until they wake up the next morning um, and the entire lodge smells of sauerkraut. Um, the maintenance crew is quickly able to find the source. Um, it is, you know, one of the stolen sauerkraut someone has left in the heating vents. Um, they, of course, remove it, but not before a bunch of guests decide to check out because of the gross smell. <laughs> um, so we thought that this sauerkraut was stolen by Clark, but Clark you know, has since been kicked off the premises. So clearly Clark is not the one to have put this in the heating vents because that happened, must have happened overnight. Um, so Archie finally agrees that Nancy should still be investigating that there is still some saboteur out there. Not that Nancy would not have continued investigating regardless of what Archie said. So anyway... <laughs> um, but also now it looks like Carson might not make it to the lodge at all, like not just be delayed, but not be able to get there at all because there is another massive winter storm rolling through, uh, but this time up north where they are, not down in River Heights or east in River Heights. I don't know. Um, Northeast, probably. Yeah. Ish. No, I think the lodge is northwest and then River Heights would be southeast. You're right. I think. Um, (laughs) Montana is west of Chicago. (laughs) Geography is hard. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, No, I I could be wrong. I'll tell you straight up now. I don't know. I could be wrong. I I have no faith in my ability to know where things are. Me neither. Um, (laughs) We're somewhere in the snow. Don't worry about Mm -hmm. it. (laughs) So Nancy decides to go interview Chef Kay, but she's no help in determining who might be responsible. She says she doesn't have any enemies um, and kicks Nancy out of her kitchen to yell at someone else. Oh, the irony. Um, But uh, in in fact, it's so ironic that Nancy even wonders, hey, is Chef K maybe sabotaging her own restaurant for some reason and then just trying to keep me off the scent? And then that's why she kicked me out, which is honestly very smart uh, theorizing from Nancy. Um, I was like, now we're thinking like a detective, Nancy. (laughs) Um, okay, so then Joe calls and tells Nancy that Frank is now free, uh, thanks to lawyer and detective dads, um, but he is now banned from the lodge. WTF. Like, no, 
I want more Frank oh. Hardy. Don't tease him like this and then rip away. Have him I was away like, from well, us. maybe, maybe she'll leave the lodge. And I was like, she's in a wheelchair. She's not going to leave the lodge. I mean, I wouldn't ah. put it past her, but she doesn't, which is yeah. lame. She should. And then I was like, maybe, maybe Frank will sneak back, you know? Ugh. So that would have been characteristic too. And he doesn't. And he doesn't do that. Um, so now Joe is the only one who can like move around freely basically, because obviously Nancy can't really go that many places in her wheelchair. And obviously Frank can't go to the lodge at all. So excellent. Um, so he's going to go ahead and keep tailing Thorwald, this oil executive that he thinks is involved somehow. And then Frank is going to keep digging around digitally to try to find info on everyone. This is such a weird moment, I, but I like Joe, yeah, I hate this so much. Um, Joe like touts Frank's hacking skills, like bragging about his brother. But then Nancy says that, oh, George is even better at hacking. She's way better at hacking than Frank could ever be. Um, and then they like pit them against each other in like competition when they're like not even there. Yeah. <laughs> and um, they're like, hey, we'll have a 24 hour hackathon. Or except not us, our friends will have a 24-hour hackathon, even though we don't know what George's plans are right now. She could be totally busy. Right, because it's like Christmas Eve. Surely so she doesn't rude. have plans for an entire 24 hours. And also, that's not what a hackathon is, but okay. Yes. So Anyway, anyway um, they, they put them in this competition, and they say, whoever can find the most information by tomorrow wins. Okay, fine, Great. whatever. We didn't have to have this premise to get both Frank and George looking for information. We could have just, it could have just been like a small comment and then Nancy like texting George, be like, yo, you want to show the Hardy Boys up? And that could have been it. Yeah. That could have been it. But no, we have to have a, a flirty thing with like Frank's so <sighs> impressed by George's skills that he develops his crush on her. Ugh. <laughs> no. No. Um... So Nancy calls George, uh, obviously, about this hackathon thing. And George does say that she already knows that um, Carol, this journalist lady, is suspicious because on a previous blog before she was at the magazine that she's at currently, like her whole shtick was visiting places. And then suddenly things would like go wrong, like burst pipes, food poisoning, snakes, snakes. There was mm. a mention of snakes. Yeah, I don't like that. Oh, God. Um, so it seems like it's possible that she did these things herself to like drum up press for or like herself, like create buzz um, and is maybe now doing this now in order to get herself a front page at this new magazine job that she has. OK, um, so plausible. Uh, later that night, after midnight, Nancy decides that because sleep is eluding her, she might as well take out her binoculars and do some more snooping. Um she takes a look out her window and then sees the unmistakable shadow of Chef K sneaking around outside, furtively looking over her shoulder as if someone is following her and carrying a knife. When does she not? Dun, dun, dun. I know. <laughs> Real uncharacteristic. Every single time we've seen Chef K, she's had a knife with her. So I don't know why you don't expect this, Nancy, but it's apparently very ominous to her. I don't know. That's how you know she's a chef, is because of the knife. <laughs> it's just like her trademark. She just walks around in her little chef's outfit all day, mm -hmm. her hat, her white coat, and a knife, like it's a little uh, a mini figurine of a chef. Yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> but now she's suspicious. The knife mm-hmm. makes her suspicious now. Sure. Okay. <laughs> okay. Is that where we're stopping? I think so. Yeah. I think that's okay. a good little cliffhanger to leave everyone on for. It sure this week. is, isn't yes. it? But let's talk about what we've covered so far. Yes. Okay. First of all, <laughs> I think it is so interesting that we are in a scenario that in this Nancy Drew Diaries at this point, we're in a scenario where Nancy has never met the Hardy Boys. I know. How do you feel about that, Corey? Well, it's difficult. I don't know. I don't know. I I don't think I like it. And I... I understand that, like, if we're doing things in, like, a chronological order or whatever, at some point, Nancy has to meet the Hardy Boys for the first time, right? right? But it just seems to me, like, in the Nancy Drew universe, we have so established that we kind of, all this stuff kind of occurs outside of time. Nancy never ages. So it, so that doesn't seem like it has to be. And I think it is much preferable in a story to have Nancy already have an established relationship with Hardy Boys. Yeah. It makes it so much more fun when yeah. they run into each other. Cause they can be like they can make like inside jokes about old mysteries and stuff. And then we as the reader can be like, oh, wait, what are they talking about? I want to know about yeah. that. <laughs> you know? It makes us feel like like outsiders, which is kind of good in a way when they are they are forming their own club of teen detectives. You know what I right. mean? It sets them apart. And I just, I need Frank to be in love with Nancy. I don't. Yeah, I don't (sighs) like the George and Frank thing. Not one bit. (laughs) We haven't fully gotten to the full ick of their, the, the romantic plot, subplot of this book. But, but yeah, I, I just don't like it that Frank and Nancy don't know each other and that Frank isn't secretly pining for Nancy. I just don't like it. I just don't like it. That needs to just be an established part of the Nancy Drew Hardy Boys lore forever until the end of time. And whoever wrote this book clearly didn't do their research. That's all I'm saying. Or they just (laughs) decided to make their own thing for whatever reason, because maybe they're a Ned Stan or something. Probably. Well, I mean, with, the kind of, you know, glowing scenes that Ned has had in the past books. I believe that whoever has written these books is a serious Ned stan. True. Um, so much so that they have nearly converted me. But, Corey, all it takes is one little sprinkling of Frank Hardy in a book for me to go crawling back <laughs> to my o- original OTP. Yes. Which is Nancy and Frank. Okay. It it bothers me a lot when things aren't canon and, like, things will directly contradict themselves. And obviously mm-hmm. this is a brand new series and we have a lot of things right. like that. We're introducing right. Nancy again for the first time. It, it It's going to be like that at some point, but it just bothers me the way they did it. I guess for a new series, this whole, like, oh, you're a recognized, like, well-known teen detective. We're recognized well-known teen detectives as, like, this team. And we have this, like, understanding and respect from, for each other, like, right off the bat. And they just, like, mm-hmm. know how to communicate in that way. That's kind of fun and cool, but it's it doesn't work. I have work. two problems with that, though. Yeah, I have work. two problems with that. One, because it's, like, 
first of all, we don't actually get that because Frank Hardy is off somewhere off stage most of the book. All mm-hmm. we get is really Nancy and Joe, and we don't even really get that much Nancy and Joe working together. Um, the only time they like really work together is like after Nancy gets into another accident later in the book, and then Joe comes to like mm-hmm. check they, like, if she's okay, make a plot. But that's like otherwise, it. yeah, that's like it. And and so not only do we not get Nancy and Joe working together, we don't get we don't get the Hardy boys together with Nancy Drew in this book. So we don't even really get them working together as teen detectives. Right. They just basically share notes is basically all they're doing. Fair enough. Yeah. But also the second reason it doesn't vibe with me is that it feels like, like I'm all for, yes, this is a new series, make your own mark, whatever. But it just feels like it's, and this might seem a little ridiculous to say, I fully acknowledge, but it just feels like it doesn't respect the history. Yeah, no, I agree. You know what I mean? That's it. That's the reason it's, it's just not right. Like, it's just not right because we've had so many years of this, like, not just like, like we have had so many um, super mysteries where this has been a thing. Right. And to like now suddenly have this new super mystery where it's like, we're just, we're just going to completely flip the script. It's like. You, you have to at least make some kind of reference to it. You know what I mean? If you really don't want Frank and Nancy to be a thing, fine. But you have to make some kind of nod to the fact that they maybe Frank used to like Nancy or something. Right. Or, or you, you, have to, you have to do something yeah. like that. Give us but a little crumb, just, please. They've never met and they have no chemistry. Yeah. And they don't even really talk to each other. You can't, you can't do that in a super mystery. You can't, you can't. It's just like completely ruins it in my honest opinion. So (sighs) also George, it is, (laughs) it is, it is 2015. If we are going to be, can she be gay? Let her be gay. (laughs) If we're going to change things up, let's say the quiet part out loud. George is not straight. Let's make that canon. Let's put that into these books, please. Yes. We don't need her, like, giggling when Frank eyes her. No. No, it's not right. George is such a clear-coded character, and it's so frustrating. I don't like this. <sighs> and and they just throw them together because it's convenient, because we throw the blondes together, yeah. George and that's Bess. E- that's exactly it. Joe and Bess, George excuse and- me. <laughs> Someone said George and Joe. Yes, <laughs> Joe and Bess. Yes. Uh, and then, you know, Ned and Nancy, so then George and Frank default. Right. They like, just oh, have to. Really, they would that's... be together. No. <sighs> no, we need George not not caring about any of this and then Frank pining for Nancy while she's with Ned. That's what we need. That's what we want. Give us what we want. Exactly. <laughs> so I also you said this before that you weren't against Joe and Bess as a couple. And I I think I read I think it was one of the comics, they were kind of flirty with each other and then maybe ended up getting together in the comics. And I liked that situation. But ultimately, I feel like in a relationship, Joe and Bess would not work because I think they're both the stars of the show. You know what I mean? Sure. Okay. It's Fair like enough. two Leos in a relationship is not is <laughs> not going to work out. Um, not that I think Bess is necessarily a Leo. I think Joe is probably definitely a Leo. But anyway. <laughs> Um, and so I just think they're both, they both have way too much charm Mm -hmm. and in a relationship, they would be like 
competing, like to be the most beloved. You know what I mean? Fair enough. Well, I say this coming off of just having recently watched the um, episodes one and two of season two of the Nancy oh. Drew Hardy Boys 1978 uh, TV show where they do, um, spoiler alert, they do put them yeah. together very briefly, but um, the chemistry is off the charts. It's wonderful. So oh I really, my God. I was like, oh more God. of that. If we're going to do that, <laughs> go for it. Go all in. But that's all right. So I also just feel like I love Joe. Joe is an excellent character. I love him very much. But I feel like Bess is so goofy and Joe is so goofy. That's too much. That, not that it's necessarily too much, but that I feel like Bess would play so much better with a character who has absolutely no goof. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like she like she would compliment someone so well by like, by like being her normally goofy self against like the contrast of like this completely like stoic dude or something, you like know? Ned. I don't know. Like Ned. Oh. <laughs> hmm. Huh. The lighting you got a point there as well. But I don't know. That's just that's just my thought. But yeah. anyway. Yeah. Ugh. What else okay. you got? So I talked a little bit about the rear window setup. There's a lot of references in this book. Yeah. Um, and I feel kind of really upset about it because I feel like we don't capitalize on any of them. Yeah. Um, so we get the maze, the hedge maze from The Shining. And now I understand that we're only in the first half of the book and maybe that'll play into the plot a little bit later. Um, but we don't get enough of it. Also, we have this whole situation set up, which is so obviously a nod to Rear Window um, with Nancy in a wheelchair, a leg cast, hello, mm -hmm. and binoculars. And it's like, and it's like, we don't, we don't capitalize enough on that either. Nancy still gets to go around and everything. And it, and it's just such a long book is the thing, Corey. It's just <laughs> so such long. a long book. And, and it feels like for such a long book, you have so much time to like actually really set this book up well to like capitalize on those tropes. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like we could spend so much time of like Nancy trapped in her room, but we don't. Instead, Nancy's running all over the lodge in her wheelchair. And it's like, if you're going to nod to rear window, nod to rear window. Yeah. If you're going to nod to The Shining, <laughs> nod to The Shining. Yeah. But it's like, we just kind of ca casually mention these things and then forget about them. And I feel like it's just such a missed opportunity. I feel like this book misses opportunities left and right. And it just throws in a bunch of like random plot points that nobody asked for That's when true, all yeah. we really want is like heavy theme and our favorite characters. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I will say that it does hit a lot of great Nancy Drew highlights, which is, of course, you know, our wintry a snowy vibe. This book is essentially like reading Treasure in a Royal Tower combined with Message in a Haunted Mansion. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then there was another one I thought of too that is escaping me now. But I mean, White yeah. Wolf of Icicle Creek, obviously, White Wolf with of Icicle the sabotage Creek. Right. And the, yeah. But. It's just like quintessentially Nancy Drew with like the sabotage, um, a snow, 
you know, knives, there's uh, hidden rooms and um, let's see, oh, gold treasure, you yeah. know, all mm -hmm. that stuff that we're getting. And yeah, so I appreciate it for that. It just feels like a jumbled up amalgamation of it and not focused. And it irritates me. <laughs> Yeah, but no, honestly, I didn't take that many notes either, um, except that I definitely thought that it was Carol straight off the bat because of the fact that she was a journalist. And I was like, wait a second. In chapter one, I was like, wait a second. She's going to a ski lodge and there's this friendly journalist sitting next to her. Mm. <laughs> huh. Where we that I mean, before? way to just let the cat out of the bag right away. <laughs> like it's a foregone conclusion at this I point. Know. <laughs> Well, and it kind of calls back to um, the very first one, Chris of the Arctic Star, with our mm -hmm. suspect who's also like, oh, my blog needs to be extra great this year. And <gasps> what am I going to do if it what doesn't, if? like, get a bunch of clicks and all? Yeah. Mm. What if they're the same person? What if she just wears disguise and follows Nancy around? Oh, that's very interesting. We're going to get another book where she, like, comes back for her. <laughs> what was her name? Wendy. Yeah, Wendy, Wendy something. Wendy, Wendy Webster. Wendy, Wendy the Webster. What is with the names in this series? Mm. They're the worst. Hey, if that's our biggest complaint, we're doing pretty good Wendy, for the diary series. Wendy and Brontosaurus, Bosley. <laughs> like, what the heck? Just all the letters G and A and <laughs> Chef A and. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, why do you come up with these ridiculous names if all you're going to refer to people as is an initial? <laughs> anyway. Dr. Boilbutt and... Dr. Boilbutt! <laughs> they don't call him that, but we do, like, go out of our way to mention that. We will not now! <laughs> we'll call him that. We can do that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Too funny. Oh my goodness. Um, Yeah. So, Corey, if you were to flashlight score the book at this point, what would you flashlight score it Just as? Just the first half? Just the first half. Three at the most? Yeah. Three? Yeah. I think three's fair. I think that's fair. I um, would give it uh, a two. Okay. <laughs> because I... Uh, it's it, This book just disappointed me at every turn. And it was soul-crushing. The pieces are starting to get there, but then part two, they don't really do, mm. they don't do the right things with those pieces. We're not we talking just, about like, part two yet, Corey. We're not. <laughs> so it like, it sets it up okay. And, yeah. and then you're right. It's just kind of like, uh, you're just doing so much. Just end the book already. Like, why are we uh -huh. still on page yes. 340? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, that's twice as long as a normal Nancy Drew book so <laughs> it's almost more than that I think it is yeah yeah <laughs> I'm trying to anyway. think of oh no 360 would be double well if you think of like 180 is a normal Nancy Drew book 150 to 180 mm. we're right at a double okay double book here. okay it feels longer <laughs> it does feel longer it, it really does because they just keep dragging it out and they don't do the right things with the pieces that they start to set up. And they're like, what if we don't do any of that and then just make you tolerate um, Frank and George together for no reason? Just put up with that for a few hours and no Carson <laughs> for nobody. Listen, if I can't have Frank, 
you have to at least give me Carson. Yeah. And if I can't have Carson, you have to give me Frank. I have to have some kind of attractive guy <laughs> to drool over. Otherwise, why am I reading these books? I don't want Ned. Don't offer me that. I want Ned. I want not Carson. Not in the first half, but. Give me Daddy Drew, please. Yes. Thank you. And good night. And then just dangle Fenton real quick and then oh, not even give us Fenton God. either. <laughs> oh, what a disappointment. Um, yeah, so that has been part one. Yes. <laughs> of a Nancy Drew Christmas. Um, and yeah, join us in a couple weeks where you can hear the end of this, you know, somewhat random holiday romp. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that'll be out on Christmas Eve, so we'll be very festive together. (laughs) Uh, We'll see you then, regular Drews. Bye. Thank you for listening to Regular Nancy Drew. Email us at regularnancydrew at gmail.com. If you like this episode, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also follow us on Instagram at RegularNancyDrew and Twitter at RegularND. You can also support us on Patreon. Patrons at the $3 level vote on upcoming episode topics and get exclusive access to our Scoop Sesh series. And all patrons receive early access to each episode as well as weekly bonus content. And to all you regular Drews out there, thanks thanks for for listening. listening.